guys, um, just come back from the Wim Hof Method workshop with Scott Riley of Causeway Living. And whilst I didn't plan on recording any introduction to this episode, I just felt like I needed to do this and tell you that the workshop was absolutely amazing. So if you missed this one and are interested in breathing method called immersion or if you've heard of uh, Wim Hof method before and are intrigued and want to see what it's all about, I recommend you put into your calendar the two following days. One is Saturday the 5th of May and the other one is Saturday the 30th of June and I believe that Scott will be doing more of those workshops in Maytree Studio in East Belfast. Go on to causewayliving.com and see if you'd like to join one of the workshops. I can highly recommend it. And don't be scared of the ice bath because it feels absolutely awesome and it's coming for someone who loves hot really hot bath and showers so that's it for me and i hope you'll enjoy this episode hi everyone and welcome to the sweet spot on a farm episode 12. we are not on a farm today we are at a rosetta chiropractic and i'm talking to nick mancuso hi how are you uh, good how are you awesome thank you please tell me i pronounced your name correctly yeah no, that's right yeah it's, uh, it's actually well in italy i think they would pronounce a surname mancuso mancuso yeah so it's, it's slightly different than than here so do you have any italian roots i do yeah so my my grandfather um on my on my father's side it would be italian so um but uh I'm actually a mixture of Irish, Scottish, Italian, and French. Um, so, but all my traits come out Italian. Yes. Um, <laughs> so you have a practice in Belfast. You're a chiropractor, and our first question I really want to ask you is, what does chiropractor do? Because not everybody knows that. I only heard about that profession a few years ago. So could you explain a little bit about what you do? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm glad you asked because I think there is a lot of misconceptions of what chiropractors do or who they are. And I find that a lot of times people think that there's a competition between chiropractors and other health professionals, such as physiotherapists, for example. So um, I want to kind of maybe explain the differences between physio, chiro, and, and that as well. There is a, a definition that's been set out for chiropractic, and uh, it's uh, the World Federation of Chiropractic uh, describes chiropractic as a health profession concerned with the diagnosis, treatment, and prevention of mechanical disorders of the musculoskeletal system and the effects of these or disorders on the function of the nervous system and in general health. So... When it comes to chiropractic, our main concern is a healthy functioning nervous system and uh, completing a good pathway of communication between the brain and the body. So if there is interference to the nerves or how the brain communicates to other cells, uh, including muscle cells or uh, to organ type tissues, then there can be negative effects with that. When it comes to comparison to physiotherapists, physiotherapists are the experts at exercises, finding out which muscles need to be uh, lengthened if there's tight muscles, uh, which muscles need to be strengthened if there's weak muscles. And uh, there's a bit of a crossover oftentimes with the two professions. Both can use manual type therapies to help uh, ease any kind of disorder um, or discomfort in terms of pain and the major difference is they're working primarily with the musculoskeletal system we're working primarily with the nervous system what 
do you do at your clinic when a patient comes to you, say, with, um, like I've had for the past couple of days, I've had a lower back pain. What happens at the clinic? Yeah, so when people first come into the chiropractic clinic, uh, I'll give them a form to fill in. There's a little bit of a medical history. It's important to kind of know a patient's full medical history to know how I can best help them. If I don't know about previous accidents, injuries, falls, or you know what's, what they're doing on a day-to-day basis, then it's harder for me to assess the situation and give them the, either the proper advice or help going forward. So I kind of break up looking at the history into really three parts. Because as, as a chiropractor, I really believe it's important to move really well and find out what could be causing the different types of stresses in their body. But I also uh, take a little bit more of a keen interest on how people are eating and thinking. And I think, to me, health is dependent on the way that you eat, think, and move. So uh, I usually add a little bit of that in the history and talk and touch upon some of these things there as well. So you're getting to look at your clients' eating habits as well? I do, definitely, yeah. So I will get into that, usually how much water that they have and what, what general habits that they have within eating. Um, that's only part of the whole assessment in general, though. Usually then after uh, we do a little bit of history uh, and I find out kind of how they're eating, try to give them some helpful advice on really getting rid of inflammation in their body. And sometimes that advice is through diet and uh, the use of various different things to help with that, such as turmeric as a spice, for example, uh, or using uh, omega-3s to help uh, get rid of inflammation. Um, But then I talk as well about uh, ice packs uh, for local inflammation um, and really try to help the best I can. Now, listeners can probably pick up on your accent. You're from Canada. I am, yeah. How did you end up in Belfast? Yeah, it's a little bit of a long story how I ended up in Belfast, but I studied my chiropractic in Sydney, Australia. And while I was over in Sydney, I had met a lovely Irish girl, and uh, we unfortunately had to have a long-distance relationship after the first year that we, we dated, and, and traveled back and forth for four years, and uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was tough That's going. It's a very long distance between Belfast and Sydney. Yeah, and we could only see each other really every six months. So it, uh, it was a hard thing to do. So coming over to Belfast was really the only way to, uh, to see if things would, uh, would work out. And uh, in that meantime, while I was over here, I um, took over this practice. This practice was actually also run by another Canadian chiropractor, Dr. <laughs> Marie-José. Yeah, so she... It worked out really well. Yeah, that's that's pretty much how I found here. How how long have you been here in the practice? Nearly six years now. Oh wow, that's a long time. So I suppose you have a really good base um, of clients now. And I was lucky to take over the practice with a good client base as well. And I have to say that many of my patients are still former patients from way back of of Marie Jose's and. Uh, uh, from there, I was able to kind of build further and uh, and really kind of continue to grow the practice. Now tell me, we are here today to talk about a very specific diet. We're going to talk about keto. As a chiropractor, what led you to pursue your interest in ketogenic diet? And do you ever work it into your practice with your own patients? Yes, definitely. So... Um, I first kind of came across the ketogenic diet, it was about two years ago, and um, 
It was from a friend I had studied chiropractic with, a guy that a uh, former uh, professional rugby player in Australia, uh, really into his fitness, um, someone who I really respect quite a bit for his uh, his athleticism, but also for his, his knowledge and his brain. He was one of the, the top guys in our, our class. So he had um, sent me a message kind of to catch up, see how things was, where I was in the world myself now. And uh, and he, he asked me um, a question that it sparked my curiosity a little bit. And he said, Nick, what do you remember from university about ketones and ketosis? And I said, uh, well, I remember that uh, Ketones are produced in the body for somebody who is diabetic, and if they're not getting enough insulin, then they will start to rapidly produce ketones, which is a bad thing. Um, it's a condition called ketoacidosis, and it can be fatal for, for these patients uh, or these people who suffer from uh, diabetes. And he goes, yeah, that's about what I remember from university as well. And he says, well, here, I want to share a little bit of an animation video with you. Check it out. See what you think. And I was like, cool, I'll check that out. And he, uh, he showed this video and it was telling me about how when fats get broken down, fats get broken down into ketone bodies and how they can actually be very beneficial for the body. And uh, so that sparked my interest and that led me to kind of continue to do more research into it. And I kind of found myself getting into a rabbit hole where... I just wanted to know more and I just wanted to learn as much as I can. And so for the last two years, I've uh, started to adapt a bit more of a keto diet as well as learn as much as I can so that I can share this knowledge with the rest of the world. There is a lot to know since I met you the first time I did buy the Keto Bible. And the research is really extensive and there is so much to it. So you are now yourself on a keto diet, are you? I am mostly a ketogenic diet. I, I do cycle carbs a little bit. I I don't want to fully restrict myself into being perfect keto all the time. Um, I like everybody else, you know, like uh, a little bit of carbs here and there. I do come from an Italian background, so there's a lot of, of course, pastas and, and breads and uh, most Italian foods are full of carbs. So I do uh, like a lot of those, but I, I really kind of feel the best when I fully adapt into a keto diet. And so times where I want to feel really good for a sustained period, I'll adapt mostly keto. And that's what I pretty much find works for me. So you're talking about restricting yourself and carbs. So could you explain to me what is keto diet and how you get into what you call ketosis? Yeah, the keto diet, and what's just interesting is it's, it's a hard thing to kind of define. And the reason why it's hard to define is because people are trying to put ratios on the amount of macronutrients that you need to eat. Some say it's 70%, some say it's 60%. And that's meant to make it easier to be able to do the diet. But a ketogenic diet really just means that you're trying to create ketone bodies, that you're, you're trying to make those. And there's many different ways to actually make ketones into the body. So you can adapt a higher fat diet, a lower carb diet, to primarily run off of these fats when your liver metabolizes them. Or you can do things like even fasting is going to create ketones in your body because you need to run off the stored fat in your, your body. So doing intermittent fasting or prolonged fasting will put you in this metabolic state called ketosis, which is when you're primarily using fat for energy. The actual definition of ketosis is when you have an elevated level of ketones over 0.5 millimolars 
per liter uh, in your blood. And you can measure that many different ways. And anybody who is strictly trying to get into ketosis or to, to know if they are adapting the diet properly probably should uh, use either... That's a, the, not a great way to use this, the keto sticks because they're not as accurate as like a blood ketone monitor or a reader, which you can pick up on Amazon for usually like 30 quid or something like that. That If you can read that your blood ketones are above 0.5, then you'll know you're in ketosis. Some people know they're in ketosis just by how they feel. They do feel clearer in their thoughts and, the, and sharper in, in their, their daily activities, but um, reading it is one of the, the best ways. So yeah, doing it via diet or uh, doing it uh, by fasting are all good ways. Now, traditionally, there was the classic ketogenic diet was measured in grams. And so the way to define that was it was a four parts fat to one part protein and one part carbs. Then that's, that's about 92% fat, which is very, very hard to, to adapt and do. Uh, they've also, there's a three to one sort of uh, ratio as well. Uh, but now traditionally it's thought that about 65, 70% fat, 20, 25% protein, and about five to 10% carbs will equivalent to be equivalent to a basically a ketogenic diet or ketosis for most people. So how does that work with someone who is on a really high calorie diet? Because if you're consuming, say, 4,000 kilocalories a day, then if you measure it by percentage, that the carb intake seems quite high. Is it, is it really the best way to measure it? Or is there a guide how many grams you should be consuming? Yeah, exactly. And, and there is sort of an everyone's slightly different in terms of how many grams of carbohydrates they should have in their diet to keep in ketosis. Now, I think uh, what you're kind of referring to is that most guidances on the ketogenic diet is that you want to restrict the amount of grams of carbs to about 20 grams per day which is super hard for most people. It's about a slice of bread, right? Oh my God, yeah. I tried that. I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people can't, but you know, there are some people who can get away with about 40, 40 grams of carbs a day and still remain in a light state of ketosis. So yes, your total caloric intake is going to affect if you're in ketosis or not. If you do have too high calories of carbs, even if you have a high fat percentage, you're going to bounce yourself out of ketosis. That is really disappointing. Because <laughs> I have to be honest, since our first meeting, I did try just to see if I can do it. I can't. <laughs> no. And I tried really hard, but the closest I got was 55 grams of carbs. Yeah, no, I just can't physically go anymore. Because <laughs> um, that's actually one other thing that I would like to ask you, but we'll get to it a little bit later because I really want to talk to you about plant-based diet and, mm -hmm. and keeping in, in ketosis. But um, tell me this, what are the benefits of being in ketosis and why would you recommend someone to try ketogenic diet? There is a wide variety of applications for the ketogenic diet and benefits that people can uh, achieve. Traditionally, this was used for children, for pediatric epilepsy. Uh, back in the 1920s, used for them, they found that when medication failed, adapting a high-fat, lower-carb, ketogenic-type diet 
would decrease these, the seizure frequency quite significantly in these children. And that's where the, the first beginning of research kind of came in. Um, but now looking at it recently, they're one of the leading researchers into the ketogenic diet, uh, an associate professor uh, in the Department of Pharmacology at the University of South Florida, Dr. Dominic D'Agostino, was poised with um, doing a bit more research for epilepsy and Navy SEAL divers. And during his research uh, and trying to produce almost a ketone-type supplement for these divers to to prevent the dietary restrictions required to get into ketosis, which via diet it takes five days to enter ketosis, or two days of fasting to completely uh, deplete your glycogen stores so that you're primarily running off of fat. Uh, what he found in his research is that this also was beneficial for treating um, other types of pediatric conditions, such as a type 1 uh, glucose transporter deficiency syndrome, and amongst other types of syndromes where uh, children cannot utilize glucose effectively, and that the ketones are an alternative for that. But what he had also found is that this was potentially a, a, an effective metabolic treatment for cancer. He has a really cool TED Talk, um, and I would uh, recommend any of your listeners to check out his TED Talk. It's uh, if you simply Google search starving cancer, you'll be able to find that. And it's the one with the, it's out of Tampa, Florida, Dominic D'Agostino. So, um, but besides cancer, besides uh, what this now is used for with a lot of bodybuilders and weightlifters for uh, controlling body weight and decreasing the amount of fat in their body, there's many different applications in terms of even neurological functioning. Besides epilepsy, Parkinson's disease, even things like uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, which is ALS. You probably remember from uh, last summer where, was it last summer or two summers ago, where they had the ice bucket challenge? Yes. Yeah, and they, you know, raising money for Lou, for Lou Gehrig. So there is actually some amazing evidence for that. Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's, dementia, many different neurological disorders, uh, they have found that basically the brain can't utilize or uptake glucose very effectively in these disorders. But when given ketones as an alternative energy source, they function very effectively. There's actually a, a site in, the, in each cell in the, in the brain, as well as most cells in the body, that uh, can utilize ketones as an energy source. So when they fail through being injured or damaged uh, through many of these different other conditions, ketones kind of come to the rescue and uh, help utilize that. If you want to use ketogenic diet, whether for a particular condition or for fitness, and you find it really hard, like myself, yes. to do it via diet, how do you keep in ketosis if you bring yourself to ketosis through fasting? How do you keep in that? What way do you do? You still have to. I suppose you still have to sort of keep up reasonably low carbohydrate diet. But how does that work? Then the diet versus the fasting. Yeah. So there's many different fasts out there, and I think when it comes to fasting, you have to kind of work just like with the diet itself. You have to work with what works for you. And the only way to really know what works for you is if you actually monitor. Too many people um, will try, say, for example, the ketogenic diet, maybe not feel at the best at the start, 
but not really known what the, what they're doing in terms of if they've reached actually ketosis or if they're still in that adaptation phase. So first, I would say for anybody who's going to try either fasting or the ketogenic diet is to monitor um, the macronutrient ratio as well as if they are in ketosis through like a, a reader. I find that when uh, I'm fasting, the best fast for me is to do what's called a 16-8 fast, which is a fast where for 16 hours of the day, I have a no eating window, which includes the time I'm sleeping. So that time would be from about 8.30, 9 o'clock at night until about 2.30, maybe 3 o'clock in the afternoon the next day. So essentially, I'm skipping breakfast. And... Uh, what I would normally do myself is I have a way of cheating a little bit. I put ketones into my body in the morning, about 10 o'clock in the morning, and I feel a lot more focused, a lot more clarity. I'm one of the only people so far here in Northern Ireland that has drinkable ketone bodies. And it's, a, it's one of the three ketone bodies your body will make when you break down fat. Uh, it's called beta-hydroxybutyrate, and this ketone body is in a powder form that you mix in water and you can drink. So it's, it's called exogenous ketones. And it will give a person the same effects of the ketogenic diet without the dietary restriction. So I talked a little bit about Dr. Dominic D'Agostino helping develop these. Well, these actually came to market about three years ago in the US. Unfortunately, they're not over in Europe yet. So I'm one of the beginning pioneers to help try to bring these substances here and really kind of uh, utilize it. Now, for me personally, I actually started to develop and, and use the diet when I felt great after taking exogenous ketones. When I felt the effects, I go, I had to make, I have to make these myself. How do I do it? And then I started learning about the fasting and learning about the diet. And, you know, I actually really quite enjoy the diet myself. I like high fat foods. Fat actually tastes delicious. So uh, to me, I have no problems with the diet uh, at all. Oh, don't get me wrong. I don't have issues with the fat part. I have issues with the low. I mean, I've been on a like reasonably low carbohydrate diet for about three years now, maybe longer than that. But the 20 gram yeah. ceiling for the carbs, it's it's undoable for me and mainly because I'm on plant-based diet. Yeah. So I find that if I was to keep this up and keep in ketosis and as you say, everybody's different. Maybe I could get away with 50 grams or 60 grams of, of, of carbs, but I find that really hard to, to keep that um, at that level. For me, eating is a lot about variety as well, and I find myself, if I was to keep on a plant-based diet, I would keep eating the same foods over and over again to keep the high-fat, really low-carb ratio. And A, it would become really boring very soon, and B, it's just not that's sustainable because I feel getting my nutrients from the same sources all the time it's not really good for the body so that's actually one thing I wanted to talk to you about is it doable at all has there been any research done on keto diet for plant-based diets is it sustainable I think with the keto diet and any diet in general you really want to uh, look at what is working best for you and I think uh, for your own self uh, to know if you're in ketosis, you should probably get like a blood reader and see if you can get away. You might be one of the lucky people that can eat 50 grams of carbs, maybe even 60 grams of carbs and still remain a light level of, of ketones above 0.5. So that would be something that you want to check out. But I think that, yeah, it's, it's sustainable through different types of foods. You might get sick of some types of foods, but 
it's knowing what you can use as a substitute for a lot of carb-based type uh, foods that you'd be accustomed to. Um, so, for example, there is a lot of general um, plant-based type sweeteners that you can use when you're like baking. So, of course, you can bake with coconut oil, uh, coconut flour or almond flour, and you can use either stevia or erythritol as another type of plant-based sweeteners, and you can make a whole variety of different types of you know, say cupcakes or things like that, uh, that would be, you'd have fun probably making. Uh, when it comes to general foods, most above ground vegetables are going to be perfect for a ketogenic diet. Um, that's not going to bounce you out of ketosis. So especially your cauliflower, your broccoli, avocado is a huge one in terms of healthy fats. If you're mainly then staying to low carbs and you do things like fasting and you're doing those those general things, maybe even potentially supplementing on times with a bit of keto, um, ketogenic sort of exogenous ketones, then you're going to stay in a low level of ketosis. And that's really what the ketogenic diet's about. There's someone that I kind of follow on uh, their own podcast, as well as they have an amazing website that will help anybody who is a vegan vegetarian to adapt into more keto diet uh, lifestyle. And this is a, a girl who runs the, a podcast called The the Keto Podcast, I believe it's called. And her name's Leanne Vogel. And she has a website called healthfulpursuit.com. So it's healthful as in, as in H-E-A-L-T-H. And um, there's different recipes that she has. She was actually a, a vegetarian or vegan herself that's kind of adapted more keto. Um, some of the things that she talks about is different recipes, things including food like tahini and things. On her episode 49 of her podcast, is um, she is Meat Free Keto is what the name of that podcast is. And she has interviewed somebody, oh, what was her name? Um, I forget the name of the girl that she interviewed, uh, but... They had talked about uh, another website as well, and I think it is meatfreeketo.com. Um, and uh, she also runs a website, I think it's uh, healthygamergirl.com as well. So I would say any of your listeners who are interested in checking out more vegetarian, vegan-friendly keto recipes, uh, there's meatfree.com, or meatfreeketo.com, sorry, and uh, the Ketogenic Diet uh, Podcast. I'll definitely check out, check out the podcast because it is something I definitely continue exploring whether I get properly into keto diet or not. But um, yeah, I think if it can help me or anybody else with adding a bit more variety while staying on reasonably low carb and really high fat diet and um, that's absolutely worth checking out i'll definitely tune in thanks I, for the tip no problem and i just found out actually just looked it up there quickly uh the the girl who she interviews uh his name is liz mcdowell and so yeah it's meatfreeketo.com sweet thanks very much like no problem so i think it is sustainable you might want to have times of carb recycling you might feel like there's a car you need a carb refill day and that's that's perfectly fine you know i think that you don't have to fully miss your carbs completely. I, and, and myself, if I'm honest, I will have a carb refill day every so often. And, uh, and that, that's fine. I'll go back to the keto diet when I want to, uh, to kind of feel a bit more clarity. So you're talking about carb cycling there. Now, I've um, done a little bit of research myself. And there are very different 
views on the carb cycling. You know, some say that it's a big no-no and then it's not a real keto diet and it really has no real benefits. And some say, yes, you can do carb cycling. You can be, say, you know, months on keto diet, months off keto diet or five days keto, two days non-keto. What is your view on that? My view is, I don't think it's good to be super strict with with anything. I think there needs to be some flexibility and uh, moderation with a lot of things. Um, you know, it's uh, sometimes when I hear people are so strictly keto, it's kind of like, yeah, get, get real. Like, you know, how can you um, be perfect all the time? You know, and I think to me, that is a massive benefit to having exogenous ketones, right? Because if you have a, a day where you're off and you bounce yourself out of ketosis, and you just want to feel good again, and you just want to rise those levels of ketones, you can wait five days and do it, and then maybe feel like, oh, I did this the right way, the keto way, and you're really super holy with that. Or you could have a, a drink of exogenous ketones, and within an hour have elevated ketones, and then slowly start to adapt your diet back. That way, you know, you are still maintaining a keto lifestyle, keto general diet, but you're getting to enjoy time. Like you're going to go out to restaurants and they're, they're not going to have keto friendly, perfect dinners. And you don't want to be the awkward person out of a group of people. You're still going to want to eat carbs. And I think that's the beauty of having such an amazing thing that you could use. So that's, is that what you're drinking right now? It is, yeah. You said that you're doing 16-8 ratio, you know, fasting. Yeah. So does it mean that when you, you wake up in the morning and say you have still four hours of fast to go to be able to remain in ketosis and you're like mm, I actually feel like having breakfast does it mean that you have a drink of that and you can have breakfast and still stay in ketosis what's interesting with exogenous ketones and this is actually something really interesting in terms of even athletic performance is that you can absolutely then have glucose or carbs that will turn to glucose and then have ketones and your body's running potentially on both energy sources so normally you're running off of either one or the other. You're either um, a fat burner or you're kind of a sugar burner. And having these ketones will then elevate those while you have glucose in, glucose in the system. And then your body will choose what it wants to use. And what they're finding with the science is that the brain especially will love and use these ketones. Your muscles as well. They have many different anti-catabolic muscle sparing effects. But then certain other areas of your body, such as your liver, which is responsible for making ketones, your liver and kidneys use glucose primarily. So, talking of liver, that is something that's a really big concern of mine. So, say you're trying to do the whole keto diet for whatever reason, and you're on this really high fat and super low carb diet, has there been any research done on what kind of impact it can have on liver of a healthy person? Definitely. There, there is uh, some really cool information on, uh, online there that you can find. Uh, when it comes to the liver, it does not seem to have any kind of negative long-term effects with breaking down fat. And in fact, there is a lot of amazing research that adapting a ketogenic type diet will help with fatty liver disease. It will get rid of a lot of the fat around that. So um, that's a huge benefit. You have different types of populations within the world that are naturally type ketogenic. 
that don't have any long-term sustained effects, such as Eskimos, for example. Many of these Eskimos, when they hunt, a lot of times they throw away the lean meat and they eat mostly the fat. And there is no reported findings within liver, uh, poor liver uh, functions or anything else. So it is perfectly safe and perfectly fine for your liver to consume higher fat um, amount uh, in your diet. So what if somebody has some difficulties with, with liver, any sort of conditions that impair the liver function, I suppose then ketogenic diet would have to be ruled out. I think when it comes to any kind of condition, if there's any kind of concern with, uh, with using the ketogenic diet, it's always best to seek the medical advice of your healthcare professional. Without that, that then you can't get the proper guidance. So if you do have concerns, even with things like uh, with exogenous ketones, for example, if you're not sure if it's going to be right for you, then you want to check with your, your healthcare professional. That, that's the best advice I can give. Back to your ketones there that you're drinking. Mm -hmm. You said that they're not available in Europe yet. That's true. So that's a bummer because they sound really awesome. Oh, yeah. Um, how long do you think it'll take for this to become more mainstream? Is it that mainstream over in America yet? Definitely. It is going mad. You can't watch television in America without them talking about the ketogenic diet. It's uh, almost any type of talk show host or a morning program um, is interviewing some of these top researchers and scientists almost on a daily basis. So it is going pretty massive over in Canada, Australia, um, New Zealand, um, and, and of course in the US. And the next places that's actually starting before Europe is over in Asia. The, um, there's a company that's leading through uh, education and trying to really help the public to learn a lot more about ketones. And they, um, they do an, an amazing event, uh, about once or twice per year. And uh, this is something called Keto Academy. And I was lucky enough to go to this in Las Vegas in September. And I got to listen to the world's top speakers on the, the ketogenic diet and the research that's out there. And it was mind-blowing, some of the stuff. Two of my absolute favorite guys in the, in the world, they, they wrote a, a book that we both have called The Ketogenic Bible. And this book has so much research, but also on top of that, so many different recipes in there, uh, broken down from breakfasts to desserts and uh, really cool, easy-to-make type um, that meals. But I got the, the, the luxury of getting to listen to these guys in Las Vegas, and uh, their talk was fantastic. It was about anti-aging and longevity and the ketogenic diet and its sparing effects on the telomeres, which are the shoelace portions of our DNA strands in our cells, and how these can prevent oxidative stress, and especially beta-hydroxybutyrate, in the body. Wow, I, I got completely, completely thrown out and I forgot I what I wanted to say. I forget what, you know, what the main question was on that <laughs> one. Uh, so let me just go back a little bit and let me get this straight. So basically what happens with uh, once you're in ketosis, what happens is that your body switches from burning energy from carbohydrates to utilizing fat and using fat and using the ketones for energy. So you were talking about for that to happen, you have to deplete your glycogen levels. So what happens when you actually manage to deplete your, those glycogen levels? You get into ketosis, but then your carbohydrate intake is above the ketosis maintenance. 
So what happens then? What if you eat enough carbohydrates to fuel your energy that day or say for half a day and then the rest does it mean that the rest is going to be fueled by fat does it mean that your body can your body switch in between that quickly or what happens then because that's kind of that little bit of window that i don't quite understand the the best way to describe what you you're uh, you're asking me is about keto adaptation and what your when your body starts to utilize ketones for energy and for most people at the start it is it's hard to kind of get keto adapted for anybody who's adapting a ketogenic diet at the start and they start to have way less carbohydrates they're actually going to have some negative symptoms at the start for the most part this is something called the keto flu and the keto flu you might have um, a little bit more fatigue, a little bit more brain fog because you're used to running off of glucose as an energy source. And when you all of a sudden change that and switch that around, you actually feel worse for a little bit. It takes a little bit of time, but then you start to actually feel better and, and get used to that. The body will then start to primarily use these ketones as an energy source and it will uh, um, be able to balance that out effectively. So you're using ketones for your energy and then you have more than 20 grams of grams of carbs and you're thrown out of ketosis but what if you run out of the carbs and, and your glycogens to burn for energy does it mean that your body can that easily switch and turn to fat to the ketones for energy when it runs out of the carbs so this is actually a good thing you want to run out of your glycogen stores to really tap in the potential of your body to, to make ketones from stored fat as well. So you can have digested fat that will absolutely metabolize into ketone bodies or the fat on your body that can be then burned as, as energy as well. So we're doing hit sessions or morning fasting type exercise, um, you know, fasting exercise is going to really quickly deplete those uh, glycogen stores in your muscles so that you can get into ketosis a little bit faster. So that is actually a really beneficial way to start to utilize these ketones effectively. So now we're getting into the exercising part. You mentioned exercise. Yes. So when you're trying to bulk up, you're trying to get stronger you're and you don't even have to be bodybuilder somebody ordinary like myself who's trying to put on a bit of a weight but trying to do it very in a very healthy way and put a weight in muscle rather than fat ketogenic diet yes or no i've read very opposing views there has been many athletes that are able to remain in the ketosis and actually to gain a lot of muscle there's a lot of muscle sparing effects to the, the metabolic state of ketosis and having run-on ketone bodies. You're going to do a lot of positive effects when you are weight training within the ketogenic diet, including having a lot of anti-inflammatory type effects. Uh, the ketone body, the beta-hydroxybutyrate, has actually been shown to block certain inflammasomes in the body, such as one called NLRP3, which is a, a very bad inflammasome. So that's important when it comes to weight training or, or lifting as well. Um, but uh, all the science that's out there is showing that you are definitely sparing those muscles while working out, while gaining through your exercise, 
um, and you're not starting to break down the muscles for energy. Does it mean that it is a myth that you need carbohydrates and protein to fuel your muscle gain? Of course, there's many views on this, and a lot of like personal trainers or, or bodybuilders will tend to stick to a lot of the old science that's out there with actually a lot of uh, these bodybuilders will almost eat themselves to being almost unhealthy because they have such high levels of caloric intake. Um, the body absolutely doesn't need that much. It can only really utilize so many grams of protein essentially anyways. Carbohydrates are going to be your quick burning energy. Uh, but if you use uh, fats, you're going to have a longer sustained energy, which I find to be, in my own personal training, really quite effective. Over the last six months, um, actually, I should first, sorry, for the first six months when I started to adapt the keto diet, I had dropped almost a body fat percentage each month. I actually, when I started, I measured about 18% body fat. I'm now sitting at about 10% yeah, body fat um, while gaining muscle and gaining size. So it's worked really well personally for me. And, and I think for each person, you do have to, again, and go back to the common theme that you have to work what works best for you. Some, some of the people that want to gain size, they love their carbs. I train with a guy, for example, and, and he, uh, he felt the leanest he's ever been when he kind of adapted the ketogenic diet. But he loves his chicken and his rice, and he is going to kind of keep eating that. And no matter how much uh, I tell him about the research or whatever, I know he's not going to change. And, and there's going to be lots of people like that out there, and there's, I'm sure there's going to be lots of listeners who um, do love when it comes to weight training their carbs, and they, they'll feel that it's essential for, for their diet and to gain muscle. But uh, the latest research that's out there suggests that you don't need to have to murder yourself with the amount of carbs that you eat to actually gain and sustain and maintain that muscle. And I'm gonna have to cut it up there, otherwise this episode would be way too long. Nick and I chatted for way over two hours, so I am going to split this into two episodes. And if you're interested in what else Nick has to say about the keto diet, I suggest you just tune in to the next episode of The Sweet Spot on a Farm. I actually completely forgot to ask Nick about his favorite vegetable. You know, that's my favorite question. I ask everybody and we share recipes and I completely forgot. So instead, I'm going to share one of my latest recipes. This is not one that features sweet potatoes. Some of you have a whole book that features sweet potatoes. So... I have chosen one of my other favorite vegetables. Sweet potatoes are kind of exceptional, but um, my other favorite vegetables, or one of my other favorite vegetables, is courgette. And I am very guilty of eating courgettes even out of season. We are very fortunate to be able to buy vegetables grown in other parts of the world or even other parts of Europe. Lately, I've been trying to eat more seasonally, but courgettes are one of the vegetables I eat whenever I can get my hands on them. I put courgettes into pretty much anything, much like sweet potatoes, smoothies. I put them raw in my salads, in soups. I put them in curries. I put them in desserts. And recently, I've started putting them in burgers. If you follow me on Facebook or Instagram, you've probably come across a recipe that I modified from 
another um, healthy eating blogger, spicy millet burgers. Now, I've recently had to come off gluten-free grain-like seeds because they've started causing me some issues. I pretty much just overloaded on them. And so I needed to come up with a creative solution to that. Um, and so I've come up with sunflower seed burgers. And they've turned out better than I thought they would. And the recipe for eight burgers, you're gonna need 300 grams of sunflower seeds, ideally sprouted. Now, sunflower seeds, if you have organic ones, they, they sprout really, really easily. You just pop them into water, ideally spring water or filtered water, and leave them overnight. It's coming up to a much warmer weather, so it shouldn't take much longer than about 12 hours. Then you're gonna need one small red onion. You'll need two handfuls of either coriander or parsley. I actually think parsley might work a bit better with this. You'll need about 50 ml of apple cider vinegar, 20 grams of coconut oil, one medium courgette. Now it really depends how big the courgette is. Now remember that when you're putting courgette into burgers or, or patties or anything like that, you need to squeeze the water out of them. If your courgette is really watery, you're gonna need a little bit more. So um, you might end up needing more than one medium courgette. You might end up needing uh, one and a half or potentially two. You'll also need three cloves of garlic and 10 grams of psyllium husks, two teaspoons of coconut aminos. If you're not using coconut aminos or you can't get them, you don't have them at home, you can use tamari sauce and make sure it does say on the package it's been fermented. And after that, you're gonna need some spices. So I used one teaspoon of cumin, one teaspoon of cayenne pepper, about half a teaspoon of salt, you can use a bit more, one teaspoon of turmeric and some black pepper. That's it. So all you do is, as I said, you spray the sunflower seeds you don't need to do that but it is way better texture wise and obviously for digestion chop very finely your red onion or leek whichever you're using put that in a bowl with all your herbs spices basically all the dry ingredients and the psyllium husks then you grate your courgette and you put a wee bit of salt on it and let it sit in a colander even just for five minutes and then squeeze as much water out of it as you can with your hands. And then you melt your coconut oil, add your courgette and the mel melted coconut oil, your coconut aminos into your bowl with everything else, add the cider vinegar and mix it all until it's really well combined. And what I did to ensure that all my burgers were the same size, because at home, as you've heard, or some of you know that my partner is on ketogenic diet, so we weigh everything and we feed everything into our calorie counter apps. So I have to measure everything. So what you do is you make your dough into this one giant ball and you weigh it and then you divide it by eight basically and then make sure that each of your burgers weighs the same and then you just make those little balls flatten it and bake it for about 20 minutes each side at 180 degrees celsius in your oven and i bake mine on baking tray lined with recycled baking paper and after 20 minutes you just flip them 
and bake it for another 20 minutes and after that they should be golden brown and they should be super delicious and you serve them preferably with a big bowl of green salad with loads of fresh and raw foods because you have to make up for the fact that those burgers aren't raw at all but they are nevertheless delicious and I do recommend if you try to make them split the batch in half maybe and experiment with the spices. I use spices that I know are good and full of nutrients and are really beneficial but also taste great when they're together so I'm a massive lover of cumin Um, it's in my DNA it's um, you know in Czech Republic we use a lot of cumin it's one of those spices that we just put into pretty much everything I use pink Himalayan salt or if I can get my hands on it I would have brown salt that tastes quite strong but very differently from your traditional white sea salt and that's it for this week Um. Don't forget that you can download this recipe in PDF form on our Facebook group, The Sweet Spot on a Farm. If you're not a member, you can join us. If you don't want to join us, you can still get the recipe on The Sweet Spot Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and download it as a JPEG. Have a nice couple of weeks. I hope you'll tune in to listen to the next episode with Nick. Go and try to reduce the amount of carbs you're consuming just for a day or two to see if you can do it and if it will have any benefits for you personally. It's also a great and quite a healthy challenge I have to say and more importantly whatever you do stay healthy. Until next time, bye! As every week your host is myself Susanna from The Sweet Spot Music by Mark J. Adair and artwork by Gemma O'Hagan. Thank you for listening.